Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Somebody's praying for a white Easter. <laughs> Praise be to God. In 1981, we had the joy of planning a church <clears throat> next to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Cooperstown has one red light, 2,232 people registered, live there, seven towns surrounding. And we uh, rented the uh, Masonic Lodge over top of Ellsworth and Sill, a clothing store right next to the Hall of Fame. We invited everybody we met. We, we spent the mornings with the Lord from like 8 in the morning till noon every day. And then we would go out in the afternoon and just, just meet people. All of, the, all of the Cooperstown life revolves around th primarily three things. The Hall of Fame, uh, the high school, and Mary Imogene Bassett Hospital. So I would just go there and look for people to talk to. I'll never forget a, a gentleman that I met in the hospital who was sweeping the floor. Had on his uh, uniform, worked for Bassett Hospital. And I, I said to him, I just, began, I just started a conversation with him, and then I, I, and then I got to the point, instead of inviting him and talking to him about receiving Jesus, I just felt in my heart to invite him to, to the local church. So this is what I said to him. His name was Rain, Wayne. His last name was Runyon, just like Onion, but with the, with the R-U in front of it. So Wayne Runyon. So I said to Wayne, I said, um, hey, we're planning a church, and we'd love to have you on a Sunday morning. He looked at me and he asked me a question that no one has ever asked, had ever asked me before and no one's ever asked me since. He looked me square in the eye and this is what he said. If I come this Sunday, what do I have to wear? What do I have to wear? I probably look a little bit of surprise and I said, well, that seems like an odd question. Why do you ask? He said, well, I, I went to another liturgical ch uh, church here in the village and the pastor uh, told me after service, that if I ever came back and returned, that I wasn't allowed to sit up in the front because I was wearing jeans and a flannel shirt. So I assured him that he could uh, attend our service and sit in the, at least in the second row. We would, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and lo and behold, Wayne came to our service the following week and became a part of the church. I couldn't, I, I actually, it was hard to believe that I would ask that question. James gives us an incredible text in chapter 2, Pastor David, and uh, I, you, I know what nepotism is, but I just want to say this clearly. How many of you thank God for a pastor who preaches the gospel week after week after week after week? I do. I really do. And uh, what, it, uh, Circles I travel, and every now and then I get a chance to hear the gospel from someone else, and I see people scream and shout and scream and shout and run and do all kinds of theatrics and antics and rhetoric and and uh, without substance, and yet it's, uh, it's humbling, but I, I trust that you're as grateful as I am because uh, we're going through the book of James. Can you say James? <laughs> it's a great book. And Pastor David did an incredible job with talking about the trials and tests of life and then how the Word changes us from the inside out because the Word is like a mirror. Continuing on with, with, with Pastor David's uh, started, we're in chapter 2 today. And I want to read to you chapter 2, just a few verses of, the, of uh, James chapter 2 from the New Living Translation. Listen to this. Just listen to this, Claire. Listen. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, 
Suppose someone comes into your meetings dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. And then down in verse 12, So whatever you say and whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. How many of you want God to be merciful to you? Okay, three hands. That's awesome. Let's try that again on a snowy day. How many, let's back up. How many of you are glad God hasn't given you what you deserve, and you're really extremely grateful for the mercy of God, even when you don't deserve it, and you're having a bad day, God's been good to you? So favoritism. The text today, the section today, is on favoritism and the gospel. James is writing to Jews that were... uh, converted to Jesus. They're scattered all around the region. His two purposes in writing the epistle are to correct a corrupted faith that's kind of seeping into the church, some false things, and to present a true faith that results in changed behavior, how we walk the talk. In verses 14 to 26, which will be covered next week, deals with professing faith without corresponding works. But today, the first 13 verses shows partiality and, or favoritism, how dangerous that is and what it reveals in our hearts while, we're, while we claim that we're walking with Jesus. How, how in the world is that possible? But James says in verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. So what is favoritism? Brothers and sisters, show no partiality or favoritism. What is favoritism? The word favoritism or partiality comes from the Greek word which means to lift up the face on a person. It means to be favorable to someone or partial based on face value, what we see. It means to make a distinction based on outward appearance. It means we can all be tempted to judge someone with the wrong measuring stick. It means God's impartiality is utterly Unlike you and me. So let's get real today. You, got it. You, you brushed your teeth. You got your rest. You drove through the snow. So we might as well, we might as well be honest. Says we're all here. How many of you ever, you think you've ever misjudged someone? Okay, three hands and the rest of you are lying. All right, good. Mm-hmm. We are impressed with titles. Cars, clothes degrees, wardrobes, but God is not. We are quick to make judgments based upon education, race, social status, personality, the size of our house, the neighborhood people live in. 
we form two quick opinions about people's hair, their weight, their makeup, their looks, their age. I don't watch it, but I've seen some clips from Saturday Night Live where people will actually make fun of anything almost about other people. Charles Swindoll wrote this. He said, if there's one place where class distinctions should break down, it's in the place of worship where color, political persuasion, type of Christian experience, money, status, rank, apparel, size, and age mean nothing. Now remember, James was dealing with the problem. There was, a, there was almost no po- possibility of social or economic climbing in James' world. The pyramid in the Roman Empire was very steep. There was no middle class as we know it. Scholars say that maybe 8% of the population had wealth. 2% of the population was trying to gain wealth. But the remaining 90% lived in what we would describe as poor today. Poor. And one of the clearest markers of status in the Roman world was attire or clothing, your threads, your duds, whatever you call them. And James is forbidding a practice that's already in practice. The practice was favoritism and partiality towards people for personal benefits in return. And much of the favoritism was based upon what people saw other people wearing. And why does God address it in the Bible? I mean, why talk about it today? We're in Clay, New York. Middle class, predominantly. Community. What, what, what? Because it's in the Bible. And because God knows all of our hearts are imperfect. How many of you are not perfect today? Okay, a fifth of you. Thank God for Pastor Jason and uh, me and a few others. How, how many of you, are, God is, you know you're in process and God's still working on you. All of us. God addresses it because God does not favor anyone and is totally impartial. And, and, and we've got to get this. I've been to churches where they actually believe God loves certain people more than other people. We've got to get nail this theology down in your mind today. Because God values people because of the value of their soul, not the outward and external things. I'll give it to you as clear as I can give it to you. Deuteronomy 10.17. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's great and mighty and shows no partiality. Matthew 22, 16, the Pharisees said, Teacher, we know you how honest you are. You teach about the way of God. Regardless of the consequences, you're impartial, and you don't play favorites. 2 Chronicles 19, 7, God does not tolerate perverted justice or partiality. Malachi 2, 9, I've made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all people, for you have not obeyed me, but have shown partiality. Acts 10.35, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God doesn't show partiality. Romans 2.10, there will be glory and honor, peace from God for all, for the Jew first and for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. How many of you thank God God is not impartial and God does not show favoritism? Colossians 3.25, if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong, for God has no favorites. 1 Timothy 5.21, I command you in the presence of God and the holy angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing special favor 
to anyone. 1 Peter 1.17 Remember that your heavenly Father to whom you pray to has no favorites when he judges. Leviticus 19.15 Always judge your neighbors fairly, neither favoring the poor nor showing deference to the rich. Proverbs 24.23 It's not good to have respect of persons in judgment. So a, a working definition of favoritism might be making a decision about another person based solely upon the color of their skin national origin, wealth, or lack thereof, or social status. You think, you think that ever happens in America today? You think that ever happens among Christians, Christian circles today? Are you kidding me? It's easy to remember language. Oh, I want to give you four words this morning in your bulletin. And here's the first word, number one, on the left side, if you have the bulletin. If you want to write in the one word, here it is. Favoritism is giving certain people favor or ignoring other people based on external, experience, uh, ex- ex- external appearance. External. Say external. 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 Have you ever walked down the, the, the aisle at Walmart and, and misjudged someone or someone in the parking lot or someone in another part or someone in another place? Are you ever tempted to form opinions of other people by what they wear, by how they look? I was walking uh, down the, uh, the, the sidewalk outside of Krauss Hospital three years ago, one afternoon, and there was these two young, young ladies about 20, 21 years old, and, and they, they seemed to be normal. And now, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a busybody, but I was walking behind them, listen, just leaning in a little bit. Now, I know you never do that, sit in a restaurant and listen to the people behind you talking. I know none of you ever do that. But I was, I was, I was listening, and, and they just seemed to be normal. And I, and I, I formed, the, I formed this opinion of them as I heard them cursing and swearing each other, and how their world was falling apart because they had just got their nails done, and they were comparing each other's nails, and some of the fingernail polish had come off of some of their nails, and their world was falling apart. Am I? What's my initial opinion? Man, your heart is about as shallow as a, as a, easy to do that. In 1884, a young man died, and after the funeral, his grieving parents decided to establish a memorial to him. With that in mind, they met Charles Eliot. Who was Charles Eliot? He was the president of Harvard University. Eliot received this unpretentious couple in their, in their office and asked what he could do. After they expressed their desire to fund a memorial, the president of Harvard said, perhaps you have in mind a scholarship. Well, the mother said, we were thinking of something maybe a little more substantial, maybe a building or something. In a patronizing, demeaning tone, Elliot, the president of Harvard, brushed aside the idea and told them it would be too expensive and there was no need for their... uh, contributions and excused him from his office because he was really a busy, busy man. The next year, Elliot learned that the plain-looking couple had went elsewhere. And they established, this is 1884, they established a $26 million memorial named Leland Stanford Junior University, known today as Stanford University. What's the lesson? What's the moral of the story? What's the takeaway? You know, the, you, know the, you know what God is saying in the text. Never judge a book by its cover. Never judge a book 
by its cover. Why? Because when God looks at people, he looks at their heart. I misjudge. I, I have misjudged so many, so many. I like to fish. How many of you know real men don't play golf? They hunt and fish. How many of you know that? Real men don't play golf. Now, somebody came up to New York City and rebuked me and said, hey, hey, preacher, I play golf and I hunt and I fish. What am I? He wanted to fight. He said, don't fight with me today. So, fight with the pastor next week. I've misjudged, I've misjudged people. I, 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 I see, I, I've, I fish with the, some of the bass pros. The guy, won, uh, he, won, he caught the most weight for four days at the Erie Open. He won, got a check for $90,000. I fish with guys who get $100,000 that when they win the, uh, the, the uh, bass tournament on, on a night lake. And, I, and I, see some, I see some guys out there in dinky little boats and, 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 and not much equipment, and they don't have a $92,000 Ranger boat or, or this kind of boat or this kind of and I And I hang around with, and I go up to the motel, and I talk to them, and I hang out with them, you know, try to fit right in. And, and some, they, some of them don't look, they just don't look. And then, but oh, when they get out on that water, I misjudge them. So why is favoritism so, so foolish? Why is it? Look at this. Verse 1b. Last part of verse 1. Show no partiality. Now get this. As you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What does James mean in verse 1 when he says, As you hold or practice your faith in the Lord of glory. It's, it's an unmistakable illustration. It's a great illustration, a contrast here. As you hold your faith or live in front of other people, remember your faith is in who? The Lord of glory. Can you say the Lord of glory? The Lord of glory. James reveals that our faith is in the only one. There's only one who's truly what? The Lord of glory. And James is saying when we look at the Lord, Jesus and all of his exalted glory, remembering how he humbled himself on our behalf. Why would we dare to view one other person as better than us or less than us? Here's what James is saying here. Since the Lord of glory saved us all by his grace, and since God saved us when we didn't merit or earn anything because we've all sinned, and since everything we've been given above zero is by the grace of God, even your breath is a gift from God, how dare we ever esteem one person above another through favoritism because of external reasons? James is simply saying, since believers have been shown such favor that's undeserved, we above all people must not value one person above another. In other words, if there's any place on earth where people should be able to find level ground when they walk into God's local church, it's where? Right here. So that provokes me to ask a question. What if Oprah walked in the Trinity Assembly of God today? Or LeBron? Or Tiger? Don't tell Pastor David. Tom Brady. Or some Boston Red Sox players. What would happen if they walked in? What, 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 do, what are we tempted to do? Pardon me? What, what are we tempted to do? Can I have your autograph? Can you stand next to me? We become starstruck. It's so normal. And I'm not preaching against that. But here's what James is saying. All of that, what you see externally... When the Lord of glory is in the church, 
and the presence of Jesus is in the place, everything else takes second fiddle. Every other personality is lesser than that. So, James is trying to teach us something. That's why James says, when the world comes into the church, may they never see the church, you and I, forget where we came from, who we serve, who died for us, who sustains us, who is seated in glory, who is coming again, who's watching us every day as we go about making disciples. Here's a newsflash. Here's a newsflash. How we treat other people reveals what we really believe about God. Second alert. Being merciful towards others becomes easier when we realize how merciful God has been to us. Third alert, favoritism to the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the imprisoned is okay. Why? Because they can't do anything for us. Fourth alert, number two, it's in your bulletin. Write it down if you want to follow along. Number two, favoritism is foolish because the very Lord of glory humbled himself on our behalf and gave us what we could never deserve. Everybody got that? All right, let's move on. What does favoritism reveal in any of our hearts? Well, let's just get down where we live. There's a lot of Wegmans around here. Suppose you're in Wegmans today, stopping after service to buy some groceries, and you're just, you're just, you're just got your little cart, and you're getting your Honey Nut Cheerios, oatmeal, throwing a little couple packs of Oreo cookies there. Don't tell my doctor. And you're just trucking along and just moving right along. And all of a sudden, you take a turn, you go down an aisle, and there you see somebody coming that you really don't want to see. Because you know, when they see you, they're not going to see you to add value to you. They're going to stop you, and they're going to what? They're going to what? <laughs> they're going to... It's so easy, isn't it? James says we, everybody can be tempted to judge the rich and judge the poor. We had a farmer in our church in... Um, well, he was a, not a farmer, but he lived in the country, in, in Binghamton. And he, every Sunday he came and he, he, he dressed in jeans and he wore an old flannel shirt. And one day he showed me his flannel shirt. Uh, I like flannel shirts. And on the inside of the flannel shirt, it was lined. And it was winter. It was freezing cold outside. He never wore a coat in the winter. I said, why don't you wear a coat? Do you need a coat? I'll get you a coat. Let's go shopping. I'll buy you a coat. Oh, no, Prester, no. He said, Pastor, this flannel shirt's my favorite. It's lined. Keeps me warm. I could go to Antarctica and wear this shirt. I love this shirt. I've made one little comment to him. I didn't want his shirt. All I said was, wow, I need to, I need to get me one of those for deer hunting, deer season, if it's that warm. You know what he did? Took his shirt off. He gave it to me. You know what happened where we're going next week down on Staten Island? I'm preaching a prayer meeting on a Friday night. A retired New York City policeman comes up to me, and he's wearing this beautiful orange shirt. I love orange. 
Orange, orange, orange. I, when I growing up, I had orange shag carpet when I was a teenager in my bedroom. I had an orange lamp. I had an orange Volkswagen Super People. Aren't you glad I'm going to shut up and you're not going to hear me for a long time after today? I just love orange. And so his name was Jim. He's still there. I, I'm Facebook friends. And, it, and Jim, uh, I said, man, I love your orange shirt. Where'd you get that? He said, oh, I got that at Costco's. I said, that's awesome. I love that shirt. Had spaghetti sauce on it. Just a little. And uh, I shook his hand, and he left. Ten minutes later, he walks in. He walks in the church. It's in October on a cold, cold night, and and you know, and he's wearing a T-shirt. I go, "Where's your shirt?" He goes, "I took it off, and here it is. I want to give it to you." You know what James says in this text? He said, "It's so foolish to practice favoritism, because James says." It's often the poor who are rich in God where the wealthy have no thought of God. Do you see how foolish favoritism is? And what's it reveal? Here's what it reveals. Look at verse, look at verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand here or go sit on the floor by my feet, You've, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? What's the illustration? Here it is. Two people walk into the service here at Trinity Assembly of God to the, to the house of worship. One has many gold rings on their fingers. It's dressed in fine apparel. She appears to be extremely wealthy. And businesses in James' days actually rented rings to the wealthy because the way you displayed your status and your wealth in James' day was by wearing four gold rings on your fingers. Businesses existed. They rented, they rented rings so that people could impress other people. And here's what James says. The second visitor, a poor man, comes in, maybe the lowest level of society. Now here's the story. The story is not about being rich or poor. The Bible is filled with wealthy people who serve God but the church was mostly made up of the poor or the common people. God needs the wealthy to help those who don't have. Being wealthy is not a sin. Hello, hello? Margaret Thatcher, former prime minister, what did she say? Her famous statement, one of her famous statements. If the good Samaritan didn't have money, he wouldn't have been able to help the other person. you got to have the measles to give the measles. It's okay to have as long as you don't drown in the gravy what you have. Everybody got that? It's okay to have. But here's the point of the story. The rich man is given a what? A special seat on the front row. But the poor man is told to stand off to the side or sit on the floor. What's the point? It's okay to be nice to the rich. That's not the point of the story. It's okay to be nice to the rich, but it's not okay to be rude to the poor. Everybody got that? So what's the takeaway? James says in verse 4, we become judges with evil thoughts. In verse 6, we dishonor the poor who Jesus loves. And in verse 8, we forget the royal law of loving our neighbor. And in verse 9, we're committing sin. So what does favoritism reveal about our hearts, my heart or your heart? What's the answer to the problem? Why would someone do this? James teaches us here that favoritism reveals 
that we can forget how God treated us when we were lost and sinful and bankrupt and poor. Favoritism reveals that we can forget that partiality is contrary to the nature of God. Favoritism reveals that we can easily judge people by outward appearance. Favoritism reveals that we can forget what's most important about every every person on planet Earth. What's the most important thing? It's not your IRA. It's not your 401. It's not your savings at the bank. The most important thing about every person on the Earth is what? The condition of their heart, their soul. Favoritism reveals that we're tempted to honor those who can do us favors in return. God knows that. James teaches that. So number three in your bulletin, if you're taking notes, favoritism reveals that we are looking in the wrong direction, direction to find favor, value, worth, and significance. And here's why God disdains favoritism. Because it's inconsistent with faith in Jesus. Because it insults people. Because of the evil in our hearts. It's it's rebuked because God makes no distinction and is no respecter of persons. It dishonors the poor man simply on the basis of his financial condition. It violates the rule of law when we focus on the externals and 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 non-character traits of people. John MacArthur wrote in his commentary, if we disdain the poor and fail to help them, we disdain God himself. Tim Keller wrote in Ministries of Mercy, I quote, Wealth is not to be stored up for yourselves. It's to be accumulated for doing works of mercy and spreading the kingdom. How many of you know we're all passing through? How many of you know all money is tainted? Taint yours, taint mine. How many of you know it's all tainted? So uh, here's my last question. How does the gospel free us from favoritism? How does the gospel free us from misjudging people? I mean, Pastor David, uh, two weeks ago, talked about trials and tests. Uh, Last week, the power of the word to change the human heart. Now this third subject, I mean, James is, as as Pastor said, it's a gritty, nitty-gritty book. And James is really in our face because, obviously, God knows the temptations of all of our hearts. How does the gospel free us from favoritism? To really enjoy the journey and have a healthy soul from the inside out. Verse 7. Are not the rich who who oppress you and drag you into court, aren't they the, the very ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? Here's what James is saying. It's unmistakable. The unsaved rich were dishonoring the poor. They were using the law of the land to become wealthier. They were scheming, neglecting, ignoring the poor, and revealing their insecurity and misplaced affections. The unsaved rich, as James says, were blaspheming the name of Jesus. In other words, the rich were takers instead of givers because they didn't have the gospel in their heart. The poor were givers of their very lives because the gospel of Jesus had changed their hearts. You heard what happened on Christmas Day. Christmas Day, 11, 11 believers, 11 believers were, were, were gathered and captured by ISIS and they took them, took them out and they, they, uh, they killed all 11 of them. And three years ago, the, the group of 12, they say, were killed, but one got away because the brother of, uh, 
a doctor that I know who's a Coptic Christian, has four brothers there that's, that are believers, and, and they were friends with those 11. They, they took them out to the beach, and they beheaded all 11 of them. They, might not, they didn't have a lot of stuff, but you know what? As they were being beheaded, you know what they, you know what they were doing? Here's what they were doing. They were worshiping and praising and thanking God for their eternal life. They weren't bitter. They weren't angry. Their fingernail polish wasn't wore off. Their tire didn't have a flat, wasn't flat. They didn't lose their favorite kitty. No, they were losing their hearts, but God had their hearts. And they were what? James says they're what? Rich in faith. If you want to be rich, oh, by all means, be rich in faith. So how can we love others more than we want them to love us? How can that happen? Only one way. Finding and resting in God's love for you. Verse 7, the honorable name by which we're called. You know what that means? That means to rest in God's forgiveness and God's approval. You know, how many of you know this? It would be nice if everybody liked you, but it's not necessary for God to use you. How many of you, that's okay. How many of you know God's approval of you is much more important than man's approval of you? It would be nice if they liked you, but it's okay if they don't. It's God's mercy, his impartiality, resting in God's work on our behalf instead of our work on his behalf. Christian author David Pallison said, the world loves things and uses people. James says the church is to love people and use things. So what frees us from, what frees us? What frees us? What protects us? What keeps us? What is it frees us from judging people by their clothes, their cars, their careers, the cash on hand? What frees our heart to look at all people the way God looks at all people? What frees us? What allows us to be so filled by God and not walk around wanting stuff from other people? People who are looking for validation from other people walk their whole life in unrest. It's number four in your bulletin if you want to write it down and I'm finished. Here's how the gospel frees us from favoritism. Number four, by trusting and resting in Jesus' honorable name and his work on the cross, we are free to love all people. Why? Because our security and sufficiency is in Jesus. Francis Chan said it this way. We can be so filled and content in God that we never walk around thinking, I wonder what I can get from this person. Another author said, riches without God always leaves us wanting. Remember this. If I'm not content with what I have... I won't be content with what I want. It's the guy at the gas station in Richfield Springs about three years ago when I'm in line around 4 o'clock heading to the woods who says to the guy at the counter as he's buying lottery tickets of every kind as I'm in a hurry to get to the woods, I'm right behind him. I'm going, <coughs> you know what that means? You know what, <coughs> you know what that means, right? And he says, I'll take one of those and one of those. And he's buying one of like 49 different lottery tickets. 
You know, you got to play to win. I understand that. And then he says this. I'll go to my grave remembering what he said. He said, that if I could only win the lottery, my life will forever be good. And as soon as he was finished, I went, mm-mm. And then I shouldn't have said that. I realized that. It's none of my business. How many of you know your life can be good without the lottery? How many of you know your life can be good and Jesus is enough for your security? If I'm not content with what I have, I won't be content with what I want. If I'm not content with where I am, I won't be content with where I go. Happiness is not a place. It's a state of mind. Jesus is enough. The cross means I'm accepted in the beloved, not superior to anyone nor inferior to anyone. Your value comes from what God thinks of you, not what people think of you. So my friend, I want to encourage you. It's a strong in our face, faith, face kind of message. But uh, everybody here, because of our, the default of our hearts, we all crave for something. You know what it's called? It's called approval. We all want approval. We all want validation. We all want affirmation. That's why James says people will cater to the one man and push the other person aside because the person we push aside, we perceive they can do nothing for us. Misplaced trust in the rich man. That's why we want approval. That's why so many are striving for approval. And you can have it this morning. If Jesus is the Lord of your heart, you will find all the approval you'll ever need. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer just for a moment this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. None of us have arrived. We're all in process. There's a danger of partiality and favoritism that rests in all of us. We tend to gravitate people who can do more for us than other people. I understand all of that. So James deals with it. God deals with it through James head on. So wherever God finds you this morning, wherever you're at in your journey, and we're all on a journey, how safe and how secure is your heart today? How much at peace are you? Do you find yourself at today? How quick have you been to cast judgment because of an outward appearance? How sensitive and compassionate are you towards those that you perceive not to be rich on planet Earth? How tempted have you been to put your trust in other people's perception of you? How have you been tempted to try to impress other people because of external things? How safe are you safe enough in God's approval today? If you're not absolutely positively sure you're born again of the Spirit of God, then Jesus, I promise you, Jesus will be enough. You can pray and ask Jesus into your 
to your heart this very morning, this beautiful day, this afternoon, here in Clay, New York. Wherever, wherever you're at in the, in the journey, maybe you've, you're not sure you're born again. Maybe this is your second month or week or you just started and it's new to you. Wherever God finds you. But the good news is this. The gospel can only do two things. And only the gospel can do these two things. Only the gospel can satisfy your heart and only the gospel can transform your heart and change all of us from the inside out. So wherever you're at, ask Jesus to give him permission to go deeper in your heart and bring change where change is needed. And God will do that and you'll have a healthy soul. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Lord, I thank you for every man and woman in this place today. God, I thank you for your kindness and your goodness and for your word. God, I thank you for the gospel. Remind us often, Lord, all of us in this place, we couldn't earn it and we don't deserve it. It's the overwhelming, overwhelming love of God that allows all of us to be here. Help us to never feel superior to another and help us never to feel inferior to another. Help us not to compete and compare. Help us to rest. Help us to rest because of your work and what you've done. I pray for every man and every woman and every young person on this campus today, God, that we will have you in such a, a place in our hearts that's first place above everything else, that we won't be looking for approval, validation, affirmation, or love in the wrong places. Jesus, you are enough. Keep us healthy. Keep us whole from the inside out. Make us strong in the Lord and the power of your might. We ask you, we trust you for it in your strong name. Amen. Amen.